education class since they were like confirmed and how many people wanted to be there when they were getting when they were kids getting confirmed and so one of my most often repeated lines is you can't love something you know little about and so the more you learn about our faith the more you will love it and so we wanted to change it up a little bit i mean i don't know how much you guys advertise it we advertise it a little bit that opening up to anybody for the first five weeks even uh, regular catholics that have been confirmed and then we're going to discern from there where we move but Definitely some of you are here, are here for RCIA because you haven't been confirmed or you're thinking on joining the Catholic Church. And that's the main thrust of what we're doing. But we want to have adult education available all the time. And so that's why we're looking at possibly making two pro programs that are parallel with one another. Just see how these first weeks go. And so the first five weeks, I think, are open to the general public. And then we focus on RCIA and from there on out where you guys are all at with your interests. So, so basically, you know, I mean, RCI in general, or what pro program we're working on here is, is really, it's a, what we would call a formation program. It's not just about educating you about data about the Catholic Church. There's a real idea of being formed in being Catholic. And so that's something that we as seminarians, when we were studying to be a priest, this idea of you're being formed into something different. So you, you don't become a Catholic just because you, you have different data. You know, I mean, you learn how to be a Catholic, how to live as a Catholic, because it should affect every aspect of our lives. And, uh, you know, I mean, certainly, I don't know, I've never heard Father Eli uh, talk or give a class before, but um, uh, we'll have different styles, and he and I will, you know, uh, we'll teach together, we kind of do team teaching, and I'll jump in when, I, when he's the main teacher, and then vice versa. But um, uh, we're really wanting you to learn about the faith and fall in love with the faith, and at, from my standpoint, I like questions at any time, all right? And the other thing is that, that's important to note is that when people go through the, and I'm just gonna say for lack of a better term, RCI process, that uh, it takes a little while, it takes a few weeks to start gelling, but then you realize that you're all in it together. And then the RCI program really, really generally causes some serious community connections with one another. And so by the end of the program, you guys are gonna let, like think to yourself, I don't want it to end. This first week, the first few weeks might seem a little awkward, a little weird, but as the year goes on and you stick to it, you're going to be amazed at how much you connect to one another. And that's a beautiful thing about, about RCIA. In these first few weeks, what we really want to do is like, we look at Catholicism and Christianity from 35,000 feet, all right? You can ask questions about nitty-gritty things, that's perfectly fine, but RCIA is purposely focused to where you look at the most broad pictures of what Christianity says it is. And so a lot of this is going to be like repeat stuff. There's a lot of stuff you might know already, but there's going to be a lot of stuff you don't know either. And so, uh, and it, you know, um, uh, repetition is the mother of memory. And so the more we hear it, the better anyhow. And so, so these, uh, again, you can ask, you know, questions at any point, but it's after the first few weeks where we really start getting to real specifics about Catholicism in, in particular. So, are there any questions about the program itself? All right, Father Eli. Great. Well, great. So, I wanted to start off tonight. Um, so, our, our sort of a topic tonight is God revealing Himself. So, the revelation of God. Um, and we can talk about all the different ways that God reveals Himself, and we'll kind of touch on that. But to begin, I wanted to start with a song and play a song for you. And just um, think a little bit about how does God reveal himself to us? Because 
Each of us has our own experience of how we come to know God. Um, maybe some of you are saying, I'm still waiting for that experience. Um, I'm still not sure yet, and that's fine. Um, but I want to take a look at um, these songs. So the first one we're going to listen to, it'll be on your sheet there, the little handout with the, the lyrics. It's the one that has more writing on that side. Um, so it's from a band called The Fray. I've, I've, some of their songs are on the radio, or were on the radio at different points. But um, the writer of the song was kind of going through some difficult things. Um, I guess he was a Christian, but he, he was kind of going through different difficult things in his life. One of his friends had a miscarriage. He just lost a, a beloved grandparent. And so he's kind of dealing with this question of, where are you, God? Where, like, in the midst of all my tough things that are happening, where are you? How come you're not with me in these feelings and these experiences? So that's kind of where he's coming from when he writes this song. So I'll play um, part of the song, and we can listen to it. And then um, we'll talk about it a little bit. Yeah, that, so that's one way of reflecting on God is uh, just our internal thoughts, what, what do we go through, our, through our experiences, through our, um, our desires, through our sorrows. In, in this song, he's kind of reflecting on his, his struggles, right? That's what he's identifying. That's how he's kind of looking at who is God. He's looking at it through this prism of, I'm suffering, my friends are suffering, the people that I love are suffering. Where are you, God? Why aren't you here? Why aren't you solving all these problems that I have? Um, so that's one way of looking at it. Um, who is God? Asking that question. Um, I'm going to do the other song closer to the end, so we'll, we can think about that. But that's just, uh, most of our experience in life, we are looking for something. We're reaching out. Whether we know we're looking for God or not, he's, he's trying to reveal himself to us, and we are looking for him. Um, but sometimes we don't always have the right words or a way to um, express what's going on, but when you look at artists and how they write and the things that they bring forward, oftentimes it's trying to ask these bigger questions that we go through. So, I want to switch gears now and jump into the catechism, which I think most of the tables have uh, this little white book. This is catechism. It's sort of like the manual for Catholicism. It's um, not super reader-friendly. Um, it's more of a textbook than a, than a like novel story. Like this, the scriptures, right, are, it's a story. It's a narrative. You can follow it. Um, there are parts of it that are less of a narrative, but um, this is more of a textbook. So you would typically, I mean, God bless you if you want to do it. You can pick it up and read it cover to cover. Great. Well done, sir or madam. Uh, but it's probably not the kind of book that you're going to do that with. It's going to be something that you refer to now here and there. And so I'm going to refer to some paragraphs here. So it's kind of broken down by paragraph. So if you flip open to page, pick a page here. Oh, they have different versions. Okay. Well, um, when you flip it open, you're going to have little uh, numbers. So for instance, in my book here on page 23, has uh, there's little paragraph numbers. So each little paragraph has a little bolded number by it. So on 23, the top one is 47, 48, 49, 50, 51. Um, so you're going to want to try to find paragraph 50 is what I'm going to start with. 
Does anybody know what, see number 50? Are you seeing these little bolded numbers? Okay. So if you don't have a book, that's fine. I'm going to read it. So, but if you like, some people like to read it, read along with it. Um, that might be helpful for some of you. So we're going to look at, this is uh, chapter two. The heading is God comes to meet man. And in the catechism, when they use the word man, they're not just talking about the male. They're talking about man as the uh, as all of us. We're all part of this, the human species. And so when they um, use that word man, they're often referring to all of us. So just a word of uh, advice there. Okay, paragraph 50. By natural reason, man can know God with certainty on the basis of his works, but there is another order of knowledge which man cannot possibly arrive at by his own powers, the order of divine revelation. Through an utterly free decision, God has revealed himself and given himself to man. This he does by revealing the mystery, his plan of loving goodness formed from all eternity in Christ for the benefit of all men. God has fully revealed his plan by sending us his beloved son, our Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. So, Main kind of takeaways there, God reveals himself, right? We can know about God by his creation. We look around in the world and we can see evidence of God. We don't see God himself, right, because he's a spiritual being. So um, I, when I'm talking to the little kids at school, I used to say, like, if you, if you cut open your, your skin or something, it's not like you see your soul hiding in there, like, oh, there it was, I just saw it. it just slipped my, you know, it's not there, right? We don't see it that way. It's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual presence. Our souls are spiritual. Likewise, God is spiritual. So we don't see him in that way. But we do see kind of his tracks or his footprints or his, um, something that points to him. And that's creation, right? All of creation points to God. And so the, the author there is, um, I think probably quoting, or at least re- referencing St. Thomas Aquinas and others who have said, we can know that there is a God. Now the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, the God of Catholicism and Christianity, we don't see um, evidence for that necessarily in the world around us, right? We, we can see uh, how, how beautiful the world is, that it's created with order and all these different things. Um, we can look at philosophical reasons for why we, we know that God exists and so forth. Um, but then there's another order of knowledge, and that's revelation, which we're going to talk about tonight. So God reveals himself to us, and he does this in a way to show us more of himself, right? Through nature, we can see a certain aspect of who God is and what God is. But this personal God, we don't see that, right? It's something that he had to come to us in a deeper way to reveal who he was. And he wanted to do that. He wanted us to know him in a more personal way. So therefore, he made that decision to come uh, and speak to us. So if you read the Old Testament, um, you know, the story of Genesis, perhaps. There's uh, about chapter 12, it kind of shifts gears. Um, and we start hearing about um, Abraham. And God reveals himself to Abraham and begins this kind of process of educating and teaching the people of God. So Abraham's descendants become the people of Israel. Right? So, um, and so it's this process of God revealing himself to the people and showing them how he's calling them into a relationship. So God doesn't just want... He wasn't the clockmaker God that just started and said, okay, I created the world. This is great. It's all good. We hear about that in Genesis, right? right? Every, every time you make something, and it was good. Uh, but he wanted something more for us. He wanted a relationship with us, and he wanted us to have knowledge of him. So 
he reveals himself. And then through the people of Israel, eventually, what happens is he reveals himself in a deeper way. And that's the incarnation when Jesus comes and he's born among us. So all of that, um, we couldn't know that except for God showing us, right? Revealing himself in a, in a, in a stricter way or, or a more clear way. So these are things that Christianity talks about. And we couldn't have known those things except for God revealing himself in that way. So I'm going to jump to paragraph 51, the next paragraph. God reveals his plan, plan of loving goodness. It pleased God in his goodness and wisdom to reveal himself and to make known the mystery of his will. His will was that men should have access to the Father through Christ, the Word made flesh, in the Holy Spirit, and thus become shares in the divine nature. So that um, kind of tells us why God revealed himself. Besides the fact that he wanted to get to know us, he wants to elevate who we are. So we're human, right? Um, so we, talk, we can talk about there's angels, there's humans, and then there's animals. And we share with the angels that we have a, uh, something, part of us is... Um, immaterial. It's our soul, and it's meant to live forever, right? So we're, we're made to be immortal. Um, through sin, now we have to go through the process of death. So we still live forever, where part of us continues on, and then we're reunited with our body and all that. We'll get to that down the road, but this idea that God wants to, I, mean, I don't know if you caught the language, but he said divinize us, or share with us God's nature. So in the scriptures, we hear that we are made in the image and likeness of God. That's one of the, in the very beginning of Genesis, we hear that we're made in the image and likeness of God. What does that mean? Well, it means that we share something with God. He created us uh, in his image. And we can talk about, more about that, what that means. But uh, at the heart of it, God wants us to share not just um, a knowledge about who God is, but he wants to share life with us, life forever. He wants us to be with him forever. And so he wants us to share in God's nature. So that's that's kind of this invitation of what it is to live uh, in union with God is to share his nature, to be united to him for all eternity. Now, if you don't know God or you're not a Christian, you might kind of say, well, I'm not sure if I want to sign up for that yet. You know, so that's part of what we're doing here is looking at this question. Is this a worthwhile venture or not? Is this a good thing or not? Is this something we want to uh, to pursue or not? And um, I think it's worth our while to at least look, look at it with an honesty and say, you know, am I uh, wanting to pursue this or not? And I, for me, that was a big question for me when I was in college. And when I pursued that question, that's what led me to the priesthood. As Father Eli's talking, one of the things that come to my mind, well, what would you say, what, what do you think is one of the most famous, I mean, I we have a whole bunch of uh, guesses, the most famous art in the world? Probably Michelangelo, Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel, you know, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. You've seen images of it, right, the ceiling? So the most famous part of the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel is what? What's the what's the iconic image of the Sistine Chapel? The fingers. Yep. yep. So it's it's right dead in the center of the Sistine Chapel, and it's God creating Adam. That's what it is. And Michelangelo was incredibly theological in his in his artwork. But one thing in particular about that painting is that it's the you know it looks like the ET you know ET the fingers, but but it's it's God touching Adam. He's creating Adam. But if you look at that image, Adam's finger is like this. It's like downward. But God's finger is like this, reaching. 
And so God is the seeker of us. He seeks us out. That's why we're talking about this whole big picture of what revelation is. You know, about God revealing himself to us. That's because he's seeking us out. We're not the seekers of God. If you're here tonight, and you are here tonight, the mere fact that you are here tonight means that he called you here. You're here because he called you. He's seeking you out in your own personal life. And so you've got to take that seriously. So you might think, well, you know, I mean, this first week, you know, Father Eli's really boring. I'm not going to pay any attention to this stuff. I'm not going to come back next week. But the fact is that you want to come back next week because you want to take this seriously. Whatever it is, whatever the human situation is that got you here, God called you here. And so we have to respond to his seeking us out. That's how we're going to get fulfillment. And the whole point of it is, like Father Eli was saying, is that to get us to heaven. The whole point why we're here on this planet Earth is to get to heaven. And that's why he's seeking us out to be with him. And that's why he gives us divine revelation, which we call the Bible, right? I mean, that's mostly what you're talking about, right? The Bible. And so, and how he talks about how, how uh, um, uh, do you, I'm just going to say one thing about, so he mentioned Abraham. So like the first 11 chapters of Genesis are like, you know, the creation story and, and you know, the uh, Noah's Ark and the Tower of Babel. But when we get to about chapter 11, then we get into Abraham, all right? And so Abraham is who we call our father in faith. He's our father in faith. That's because God made a covenant with Abraham. Abraham was the first person ever to be a monotheistic. What's a monotheistic person? One God. Yeah, they believe in one God, right? Everybody else was, was, was a pagan. Everybody else believed in multiple gods. And so Abraham, God put... It, how God made this covenant with Abraham to set forth the people of Israel is very bizarre. And I always say, you might remember the story in the Bible when I tell it to you. I always say it would be a great wedding reading. But so, so God has, has Abraham rip apart all these animals, like an ox, uh, uh, birds, and just rip them apart, get their guts all over the place. And then God appears, he kind of puts Abraham into a trance, and God appears as a flame. And in the ancient world, if you had an agreement with somebody, like a real strong covenant with somebody, you would rip an animal in half, in half, and then you would both walk through the entrails of the animal. You know what the indication was? Is that if you don't hold up to your covenant, you're going to be like, it's kind of the ancient stick a needle in your eye thing. You're going to end up like these animals. And so God enters into this covenant with Abraham. He has Abraham cut these animals apart. And then God appears in a flame, and the flame goes through the animals to show that God is in covenant now with Abraham. But you know what? Abraham does, he doesn't do it. Only God does it in the story in the book of Genesis. Now, if it was a real ancient covenant, the way it would have been done, they both would have gone through. But in essence, God is saying that in my search for you, in my seeking you out, no matter how much you break this covenant, I'm going to hold to it. And the entire Old Testament is a story about Israel breaking the covenant over and over and over again. And God calling, sending out prophets to bring them back over and over and over again. So in God's revelation to us, he shows himself to be the one that seeks us out. And so to put it in your own personal life, super important. But you're here for a reason tonight. Don't take that lightly. Again, no matter what the human situation that got you here, doesn't matter. That's secondary. You're here. So if you can, come back next week.
I think we should end right there. No. Uh, very good. Yeah, he may. He may. Now we're going to jump to the next uh, little section. We're going to skip uh, 52 and go to 53. If you're still following along. The divine plan of revelation is realized simultaneously between, uh, by deeds and words which are intrinsically bound up with each other and shed light on each other. It involves a specific divine pedagogy. Pedagogy is just like a way of teaching. God communicates himself to man gradually. He prepares him to welcome, uh, he, he prepares him to welcome by stages the supernatural revelation that is to culminate in the person and mission of the incarnation, or the incarnate word of Jesus Christ. So that's, uh, that's a really important thing too. When we read the scriptures, there's lots of things in the scriptures that we like to look at and we say, well, we don't do that anymore, right? Like they, they had slavery back in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament times. They had uh, things like um, some, of the, some of the patriarchs had multiple wives. And we don't do that anymore. So the Bible, you can't trust the Bible. Well, so it's this, this pedagogy is like God is teaching the people. He's kind of forming them, but he kind of meets them where they are, right? And it's the same thing, thing, thing with us. Uh, as, as Catholics, we look at somebody, we, we say, okay, where is this person at? Where is, where is God meeting them? Because God wants to meet each one of us where we are, but then he doesn't want us to stay there, right? He wants to bring us along. So that's, our, uh, that's really our faith, faith journey throughout the course of our lives is this process of God revealing himself and inviting us to take a step. And sometimes we just, we kind of take a little step and we take a step back and it's like back and forth for a while. And sometimes we get stuck. Sometimes things happen in our lives that kind of get us off track. Uh, just as in the Old Testament, God is always preparing us and continue to draw us to himself. So God reveals himself in this way because he's calling us to know him and to love him and to serve him. And ultimately, as, as Father Ruth pointed out, the, the goal is that we get to heaven, that we are with God for all eternity. Okay, let's jump to paragraph 66 now. So we're going to have to flip some pages, perhaps. The smaller numbers are cross-references. So if you want to learn more about what it's talking about there, you can flip to those paragraph numbers and it'll help you uh, kind of get more in-depth of what that is. It's a great question. What are those, those little uh, side numbers are cross-references? So now we're on, if you have my version, we're on the bottom of page 27, paragraph 66. So this is in chapter 3, which the heading is Christ Jesus. Meteor and fullness of revelation. So again, this idea that God revealed himself slowly over time, and then when Jesus came, that's the fullness of revelation. So um, number 66, there will be no further revelation. The Christian economy, therefore, since it is the new and definitive covenant, will never pass away. And, the new, and, and no new public revelation is to be expected before the glorious manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yet even if revelation is already complete, it has not been made completely explicit. It remains for Christian faith gradually to grasp its full significance over the course of the centuries. So, what does that all mean? Basically, we believe as, as Christians that Jesus is the fullness of revelation. Everything that we need for our salvation has been revealed. All the teachings that we have as a church have already been given. 
but it does remain for us to kind of go in depth and even uh, appropriate the teachings that we have to our current circumstances. So, for instance, um, we look at um, you know, the question of, you know, can, can, we, uh, can we do something like um, uh, in vitro fertilization or something like that? Like, it's not in the Bible, right? They don't talk about that specific scientific thing. So how do we, how do we deal with that as Christians? Well, we, we kind of have to look at what we have, what is, what is God revealed, and then kind of pull off from that and interpret, okay, now how do we apply this to our current circumstances? So there are things that change, like we don't have slavery anymore. So we had, obviously there's been a, an advancement of understanding human dignity um, and how that plays out. You know, the, during the time of the Roman Empire, it was kind of a normal part of life. And there's, the way they talked about and had slaves, it was somewhat different. Um, there were obviously like American slavery, we think of African Americans or other people Native Americans being enslaved and basically being really low on the, the totem pole and being really subhuman. They're treated as subhuman. That, that was terrible. And they had that in the Roman Empire, don't get me wrong. But they also had uh, sometimes like a household. And so when we hear St. Paul talking about if you're a slave, you should, uh, you should respect your master and so forth, part of it is it's the context they're living in, and part of it is... Um, it, Brothers and sisters in Christ, we should respect one another, and you're really part of the family in that sense. So it's a different context, and so it's important to know the context when we look at these things, what's, what's the same, what's different, what's changed. But really that paragraph is trying to help us understand we have everything we need. All we need to do as the church and as Christians is to really unpack and go further in depth into um, the things that God has revealed to us, that Jesus has revealed to us. So that's why... Uh, something like this, the catechism, can be a helpful thing to read because it kind of does that for us. It helps us to understand how do we apply the teachings that we have. Um, and of course, the scriptures are important, right? They continue to be important because they help us to unpack uh, our lives and it's always God speaking to us through the scriptures. That's one of the ways he reveals himself. Can I add anything, Father? You know, maybe just to back up a little bit, we're talking about divine revelation, which we, which we mean is like the Bible, we say it. But, you know, and we did, uh, Father Eli talked a little bit about natural revelation, too, and I just want to just back up a little bit about that, just to speak to that. So, you know, God reveals to us in nature as well. And we know that. You know, I mean, here, you know, okay, so here's a bumper sticker that I often referred to that I saw years ago. In the Catholic Church, it doesn't apply. But I remember seeing this bumper sticker that said, um, uh, uh, it's better to be in the woods and think about God. No, it's better to go hunting and then think about God than to go to church and think about hunting. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what it said. So from the Catholic Church, you would say, no, that's not true. And we'll get to that at a later date. But the idea that you can go into nature, we all know people like this. You go into nature and say, that's my church, right? I mean, you hear people, I'm not going to go to church, I'm going to go walk in the woods. You wonder how many times they actually walk in the woods. But the point is, is that there is an element of truth to that insofar as God does reveal himself in nature. You see the harmony in nature. You see, you know, I mean, the order in nature. And, you know, I mean, you know, you know, I mean, we hear a lot about, and certainly the last two popes, Pope Benedict and Pope Francis, you hear them talking about environmental issues all the time. You know, Pope Francis the most, actually. And, you know, we tend to think of environmental issues in a political realm of things, but when the popes are talking about the environment and protecting it, 
They're not, talk, they're not talking about liberal or conservative. The idea that the church is talking about protecting the environment is that we believe that we can see God in nature, in the harmony of nature. I mean, you just see that. I mean, I, you can give thousands of examples. And so what the church is saying is like, we have to protect that so that God can continue to reveal himself. If we damage the environment, then God's not going to be able to reveal himself in the way through nature. That's why the church is an environmental organization, not because it's a liberal or conservative, because we realize that, realize that God actually reveals himself in nature. But that's on the natural level. Then there's the supernatural level, which is what Father Eli's been talking about, and that's scripture. It is supernatural. It's above nature. You know, one of the things, as you, as you were talking, one of the things that pops in my head fairly often is, why is God a jerk in the Old Testament and such a nice guy in the New Testament? Have you ever noticed that? I mean, God is telling all these people, go kill all these people. I don't like any of them survive. Kill the men, women, and children, all the animals. Well, why would God do that in the Old Testament if it's the same God? And Father Eli kind of made a reference to it. It's like God comes to us where we're at. It's like where we're at, that's how God's going to come to us. And, and as he was reading the Catechism, God did not fully reveal himself until Jesus came. And so when all the prophets were hearing, you know, were saying, go kill all these people, you know, and Moses and bring Israel all into the promised land and kill all the people that were there, they were not getting a full picture of God. That was not the full revelation of God. And so God was speaking to us to where we were at at that point, but he didn't fully reveal himself until Jesus. And so it's the letter to the Hebrews. I think the letter, as the letter to the Hebrews begins, it says, it says, in the past, God spoke to us and revealed himself in varied and partial ways. But now in the final age, he has spoken to us fully in his son, Jesus Christ. All right? So when we hear about all these things that are happening in the Old Testament, like he's talking about slavery or whatever, all these things that seem like paints a pretty grim picture of who God is, we have to realize that God wasn't fully revealing himself then. It was a process. God is seeking us out slowly. Because we can't, you can't give a kid a state, right? That was just born, right? And so, and so you grow to be able to get that nutrients. And so God, through time, reveals himself more fully. Are there any questions about anything? At all? Okay. Do you consider your call oh, to priesthood a revelation? Do I consider my call a priesthood a revelation? It's an open question to either of you. It's a discernment. So, I mean, we believe that God intended us to be priests, and whatever you guys are, you know, if you prayed about it and you discerned it, uh, or, and the sisters, is that, that from the very beginning of the mind of God, eternally, that he knew that that was our call. And so, it's that whole thing of God seeking us. But we have to discern how God seeks us. And so, I would call it a revelation, but we discern what is God's will in our lives. Hopefully, when you're engaged, hopefully, this doesn't often happen, if you're engaged to get married... You want to pray about it. Say, is God calling me to be hooked up with this person for the rest of my life? You know? And so we should, no matter what we're doing, we should be praying and saying, okay, is this what God wants? But we wouldn't call it necessarily revelation the way we're talking about it. That's discerning God's will in our life. And until we, until we follow that will, we'll never be happy. Have you, ever wondered, have you ever wondered why God is a jerk in the Old Testament and a good guy in the New Testament? Am I the only one that ever thought that? Did you think that too? <laughs> had a bad day, right? Yeah, a bad, a bad day. day. A bad, a lot of days. Right? Yeah, a, a bad couple years. Yeah. All right, so um, 
as you were talking, one, one, just one little quick example of kind of bringing us along. I think, I mean, you could probably speak to this more than I could uh, with your experience, but as a pastor, you're always trying to bring your people to a certain place, um, whether it's just a deeper relationship with God, or maybe there's some particular thing that's happening in your community that you're trying to work through. Um, very simple and concrete example for the cluster that I'm overseeing right now is we have a parish, St. Joe's in the Heights, uh, which has been sort of in the process of merging, and now we don't know exactly what's going to happen. But um, so it's it's a it's a question of how do I help these people where they are, and then where we're trying to go, whether it's a per particular concrete example or just in a way. And I'm sure you could speak to that many many ways. Um, you know, it could be a building project, could be um, something very concrete like that, or it could be, we just need to have more uh, awareness of this issue in, in our parish or whatever. And if you think how hard it is to change for us in these very small, concrete ways in our individual lives or in the life of a community, think how much harder it would be for, or for how long it would take and how long it did take for God to reveal himself and kind of bring the people of God to where they could receive uh, this idea of God becoming a man and God uh, calling us to be divinized and all these things that, you know, when you hear it, you're kind of like, what? I mean, part of us is we're so used to hearing Christianity and hearing about it that we kind of say, yeah, I've heard about that. But if you didn't have the context that we have, you would kind of say, what? You're calling me to be God? Like that would sound really strange to a Roman or a Greek Unless you're the emperor or something like that, right? So, um, so if you think about our own experience of experiencing change and how hard it is, think about Revelation and how God revealed Himself and why He took so long to do it. Okay, now we're going to uh, jump and we're going to read, um, transition um, a little bit to. Uh, we're going to look at paragraph seventy-four, the transmission of divine revelation. So here we go. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. It's a quotation from Scripture, 1 Timothy. That is, of Christ Jesus. Christ must be proclaimed to all nations and individuals, so that this revelation may, be, may reach the ends of the earth. And there's a little quote. Uh, DV, Divine, uh, De Verbum. That's a Second Vatican Council document. God graciously arranged that the things he had once revealed for the salvation of all people should remain in their entirety throughout the ages and be transmitted to all generations. So again, it's this idea that God is, is wanting to reveal himself and he does this to bring us to salvation. So it's not just kind of a, a knowledgeable sort of thing like, I just really wanted you to know these random facts. Or, I really wanted you to know my ten rules, the ten commandments. You know, they don't mean much, but just memorize them, they're good, you know, you can talk about them sometime. No, these are all meant for our good, right? So God is inviting us into a deeper uh, relationship, and that's why he gives us these rules and things and teachings and so forth to help us, right? All of it is meant to help us. Sometimes we see it as restrictive, but it's there to, to, to come to know God and to be happy, ultimately. So, um, okay, ne next paragraph, 75. Apostolic tradition. So this is a, a big one for us as Catholics. 
Christ the Lord, in whom the entire revelation of the Most High God is summed up, commanded the apostles to preach the gospel, which has been promised, promised beforehand by the prophets, and which he fulfilled in his own person and promulgated, which just means like distributed or shared, with his own lips. In preaching the gospel, they were to communicate the gifts of God to all men. This gospel was the source of all saving truth and moral discipline. So again, gospel just means the good news. So Jesus came to reveal all these things, and he shared this mission with the church. That's what we believe the church is, actually, the, the Catholic Church. Any Christian denomination should believe that its role is to share the good news or help people understand who God is and how much he loves us, cares for us, and what his plan for us is. So that's really the, the good news that we're meant to share. And so Jesus, his whole purpose of coming was to reveal himself and then give us the instrument by which he could re continue to reveal himself uh, for all eternity. So the church is meant to be here as a source of sharing who God is to the rest of the world. So that's really kind of, it gives us the marching orders. Like, okay, that's what we're supposed to do as, as a Catholic church or as a Christian church is to go and proclaim who God is and share the good news of who God is with the rest of the world. So um, the apostles... Where the, we had the 12 apostles, and then you know we lost Judas right away. He kind of flew the, the coop, and um, he was replaced by Matthias. So the apostles went out, and they uh, preached and taught and brought people to the faith. And all of that was kind of uh, the groundwork. But then they had to keep inviting other people to join them in this effort. So other, other men were called to be apostles. Disciples, who were just the Christians, who were following Jesus and following the apostles, we're also raised up, so you have these little communities beginning in different places. That's when you read the New Testament, right? St. Paul is he has a lot of letters. He's writing to these different little communities and sharing with them the gospel. And a lot of his letters are actually very pastoral because they're dealing with particular issues. And so as we read them, sometimes we wonder, like, what's the context there? What's happening that he's talking about these things? Like, it seems sometimes you're like, wow, it seems like those people are really messed up, like that he's talking about that. But these are real things, real problems, right? So um, St. Paul is speaking to people at that time who were trying to live as Christians, but were pretty new, new at it, and they were living in the Roman Empire, which lots of craziness at that time, lots of decadence, lots of um, just human, humanly speaking, poor formation, and not, not a lot of uh, goodness going on. So they were living in the midst of that, and they were trying to become followers of Jesus. So um, that's why there's sometimes in those letters some hard things. Uh, one of the one of the things that Father Eli is talking a, a little bit of, uh, about is that um, you know I'm just going to build off from what I was saying earlier. So God reveals Himself in nature, right? We talk about that. He reveals Himself in the Bible, in the Scriptures, and divine revelation. But He also continues to reveal Himself just to put a little bit more meat on what Father Eli was saying through the Church and sacred tradition, what the Church teaches. This is what's particularly unique for those of you who are going through the RCI process to become Catholic or to, to discern that. That's particularly unique in the Catholic Church. And so this is something that we would um, uh, maybe delve more into in, in, in later classes. That, that we believe that, you know, sometimes you hear a term like, a terminology like the Catholic Church is the one true church. You've probably heard that sometime, you know. So if, when we say something like that, like that, basically what that means is that that Christ entrusted, he established the church. You are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my, build my church, he said to Peter, and the gates of hell will not prevail upon it, that he entrusts his church to teach the fullness of his truth. 
And since the Catholic Church is the only church that was established by Christ himself, that we are the ones, as Catholics, entrusted with the fullness of truth. Now, every Christian religion's got truth, you know, but only the Catholic Church has the fullness of revealed truth. And so, really, our CIA is to talk about that. How can you say that? And you can think about all these different teachings about the Catholic Church has that maybe other denominations don't have, and that's what we're going to be going through, that's what we're going to be delving through, through our CIA. So we're talking about, like I said at the beginning, that we're looking at, at God through, through, from 35,000 feet right now. What is revelation? What does that mean? He's seeking us out. He's revealing himself to us. And one of the big things about RCI is that we're going to come to understand why is it that God is revealing himself in a particular way fully through the Catholic Church. And that's what we're going to unpack throughout RCI. So we got natural revelation through nature. We got it, we got it through uh, the scriptures. And we got it through the church's teaching. Any questions? Alright. You know what? I'm always going to stand in the center because I spit when I talk. And during the COVID thing, we're going to be very clear. I'm not going to spit. I'm not going to go up in front of anybody. So I already had COVID, so I'm good. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, so pleased that I have such an experienced um, speaker here because this is really helpful. I, I'm going to learn a lot. I can tell. So now we're going to jump uh, ahead again. We're going to jump to uh, paragraph uh, 78. As Father was talking, um, he mentioned, that, so as Catholics, when we talk about revelation, divine revelation, so God revealing himself, divine just means, you know, God revealing, uh, revelation, obviously, revealing himself. Um, we talk about two sources of divine revelation. Sacred scripture, which is probably the one that most people are familiar with, because it's, you know, all, all Christians believe in sacred scripture to some degree. Um, and then we talk about sacred tradition, which Father Rich mentioned. And that's, what we, when we talk about that, we're referring to the teaching that comes to us from Christ through the apostles. So um, all, the, all the things that the church has and come, have, have come down the generations, um, it's, a lot of it is rooted in scripture, um, but there, there are things like the sacraments, right? You don't see it in the scripture where it specifically talks about, and then Jesus established this sacrament, right? It doesn't say that. But there are times when he does establish a sacrament. Like we, maybe you recall, he talks about baptism, and then he, he himself goes through baptism. It's not that, um, yeah, there's, there's some differences in, in, in what he was doing there. He didn't need to be baptized because he didn't, didn't have original sin, but it was um, this invitation to share in Jesus. Um, the Eucharist, right, the Last Supper, Jesus is establishing that sacrament. So there's places in Scripture where it talks about what's happening there, and we can see it in retrospect, and we say, that's a sacrament. But they didn't have that lingo at the time, and it wasn't Jesus saying, Apostles, pay attention closely. I'm going to institute a sacrament tonight. You're like, he didn't do that, right? Um, so... Now, it's very interesting, it would be fun to be a fly on the wall of um, all the times that we don't have records in the scriptures of what Jesus said. Or even after the resurrection, right, he had these appearances with his apostles, and uh, it'll say things like, and he, he taught them about the scriptures. 
Well, it would have been nice if they would have recorded that, wouldn't it? I mean, come on, guys. Get a pen or get a feather or whatever you got. We would know a lot more, but we don't have those things. So what we do have is sacred tradition, right? So that's the, the, these are kind of like the two prongs of the church. And um, when we look at sacred scripture in itself, we will talk more about that because it's very important that we have both of them because where does the Bible come from? We had the Old Testament, the, the Hebrews had that, the Israelites, right? They had the Old Testament. So that's pretty established. But the New Testament, like, where, how did we decide which books to put in the Bible, the New Testament? Where did they come from? I mean, there were a lot of writings to pick from. How did they pick these ones? And who got to say which ones they should be? And these kind of questions. So we kind of sometimes just presume that the Bible is just like, ah, like here it comes down from the sky, and there it is, and here you go. And that's all you need. And that we would say as Catholics, that's not quite true. There's more to it. So anyway, let's, let's jump to this paragraph. Paragraph 78. So we're talking about, um, this is the heading is continued on apostolic succession. Apostolic is just referring to the apostles. And succession means that the office of the apostles continued on past the apostles. So there are other men who are called to be apostles um, to follow in their path. The living transmission accomplished in the Holy Spirit is called tradition, since it is distinct from sacred scripture, though closely connected to it. Through tradition, the church in her doctrine, doctrines are just like teachings, things that we believe, in her doctrine, life and worship perpetuates and transmits to every generation all that she herself is, all that she believes. The sayings of the Holy Fathers are witnessed are witness to the life-giving presence of this tradition, showing how it, rich, it, it enriches, oops, how it riches, its riches are poured out in the practice of life of the church and her belief and her prayer. So basically, he's just talking about this idea of tradition, big T tradition. So there's little T tradition and big T tradition. We can talk about those kinds of things, those, that distinction. Little T tradition would be something like, uh, Sisters, we're going to talk about this maybe, but genuflecting, which is sort of a Catholic thing. You you go to if you've never been to Catholic mass before, and you go into church, and you're with a friend who's Catholic, and you see everybody's like tripping into the pew, and they're like, "What are they all doing? Like, they do this like little exercise before they go into the like what? Trying to show off how flexible you are? Or what's, I don't get it. You know what, what's that about? So that would be a, a small tea tradition, something that sort of developed. And then um, we have meaning behind it, but sometimes you don't really know what it actually means. So, and you see, there's like different kinds of genuflecting. There's like the, eh, there's the, the the very pious, reverent, like slow down, all the daily down. And it, different people have different ways of genuflecting, but it's all pointing to there's something there. What is the meaning of that? What's happening there? What's that about? But it's a small tea tradition. Something like the um, apostolic teaching or the apostolic authority, that is a big T tradition. That's something that comes from, to us from Christ. It's not something that is disputed or kind of came out about over time. It's like, no, very clearly Jesus spoke and taught about this. So that's a big T tradition. So that might be a little confusing, but the idea is there's some things that are uh, very clear and they're always have been part of the teaching of the church. And then there are some things that kind of developed over time um, because it made sense or kind of fit with what we were doing. I don't know if you want to speak to that more, well, uh, the experience of it. We're getting that a little bit, getting towards the late. Uh, you know, 
I, I don't like going to movies. You know why I don't go to movies in theaters? Because probably five or six times I've genuflected before I've sat down. Have you ever done that? I have been so embarrassed and I've done that so many times. So I get to go before I go in. Anyhow, I shouldn't have even said that. But that is true. I've done that many times. But, uh, you know, just to, to talk about, you know, um, the tradition thing. As, again, as Catholics, we would say that sacred tradition is equal to Scripture. It's equal. And so that's what, you know, again, when, throughout this whole RCIA thing, we're going to be talking about sacred tradition. What is the church's teaching on things? Because some of the things are not taught very, it's not very clear. I mean, where does it say purgatory in the Bible, you know? And so some of these things are in the Bible, but where are they very clearly in the Bible? And so we would say that throughout the life of the church as a living organism, as the mystical body of Christ on earth, that that is equal in revelation to the scriptures in what sacred tradition is. What are the big teachings of the church that are not shared by some of our Christian brothers and sisters? Like the assumption of Mary, body and soul into heaven. That's part of sacred tradition. It's a, it's, it's a huge part of our teaching. And so, to, just to get back a little bit, and I, I know we're going visit, to visit some of this stuff at other times, it's like Father Eli was making reference, like, well, you know, I mean, where is the church in relationship to the scriptures? Because, you know, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people condemn the Catholic church, not condemn it, but criticize the church by saying, well, the Catholic church is not Bible-based. And we say, glory be to God, you're right, we're not Bible-based. We say that the Bible is church-based, Catholic church-based. Because as Father Eli was saying, it's like, well, who, put, who figured which letters to put in the Bible? You know how many different letters were written in the ancient church? Why are these ones in the Bible? You know, it took, it was, the year was 419 AD. In 419 AD was the last book in the Bible chosen to be in the Bible. And that was the book of Revelation. And not long before that was the letter to the Hebrews. Those were the two last books that were chosen to say, okay, yeah, we believe that these are inspired. Okay, so as Father Eli asked the question, who discerned that? Who decided that? The Catholic Church. Because you know what? If you only believe what's in the Bible, we call it sola scriptura, and we'll, again, we'll unpack all this stuff. This is just the first night. If you only believe what's in the Bible, then what did you believe for the first 419 years? The church precedes this, the New Testament, for sure. It was the Catholic Church that established the New Testament. And so that's a part of sacred tradition and how that all happened. And sacred and how the church has lived through 20 centuries plus and its deposit of faith and our understanding. Because like Father Eli said, a lot of the things that we believe as Catholics, they're not very clear in the Bible, but they don't have to be in the Bible directly. Because we do not believe in Scripture alone. We believe in sacred tradition as well. Questions so far? And you can challenge me if you want, or challenge either of us. Challenge him. Yeah, because you're full of PFs. That's right. All right. Uh, okay, we're going to continue on here. Uh, I want to jump to. Let's jump to 80, paragraph 80. In the article is the relationship between tradition and sacred scripture. What we we're just talking about. One common source. Paragraph 80. Sacred tradition and sacred scripture then are bound closely together. 
and communicate one with the other. For both of them, flowing out from the same divine wellspring, come together in some fashion to form one thing and move towards the same goal. Each of them makes present and fruitful in the church the mystery of Christ, who promised to remain with his own always to the close of the age. So, um, there's it's sort of these two, this two-pronged thing kind of stabilize one another. Sacred Scripture is there, and sacred Scripture together. They reveal who Jesus is, and they continue this revelation in the church. So, we actually believe that the church is the instrument by which God and and Jesus specifically is revealing Himself to the world now. So, when Jesus says in the Scriptures, "I will be with you to the end of the age," what does He mean by that? Like we have. As Catholics, we believe in the Eucharist, right? So that's one way he's with us. Uh, we believe in the sacraments. That's another way that he's with us. But we don't have those things without a church, right? The church is the way that this is this comes to us. It's the, the church that is the way where Jesus reveals himself to us. And so that's the whole point of having a church, is to have this experience of coming to know God through the community of the church. So it's the instrument by which God reveals himself to us. Um, does that make sense? Any questions on that? I want to jump to the next little paragraph. We're going to skip down to 82. As a result, the church to whom the transmission and interpretation of revelation is entrusted does not derive her, her certainty above all, revealed, above all revealed truths from the Holy Scriptures alone. Both sacred, both scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence, which is what Father said. So we hold them together, they support one another, and they feed upon each other, and they kind of uh, work together to, to help us to know God. Okay, let's jump now to 83. So apostolic tradition and ecclesial traditions. The tradition here in question comes from the apostles and hands on what they received from Jesus' teaching and example and what they learned from the Holy Spirit. The first generation of Christians did not yet have a written New Testament, and the New Testament itself demonstrates the process of living tradition. Tradition is to be distinguished from the various theological, disciplinary, liturgical, or devotional traditions born in the local churches over time. So that's what they're kind of referring to this, is the small tree tradition, the small little things that we do differently um, versus the big tea things, the things that we all hold together as, as Catholics across the world. Uh, tradition is to be distinguished from the various theological, dis disciplinary, liturgical, or devotional traditions born in the local churches over time. These are the particular forms adapted to different places and times in which the great tradition is expressed. In the light of tradition, these traditions are... How many times can I use the word tradition in one sentence? These traditions can be retained, modified, or even abandoned under the guidance of the church's magisterium. So one example of this idea that things could change, um, the idea of celibacy in the priesthood. So in the first centuries of the church, it wasn't mandatory. There weren't celibate priests. But there were also married priests. Uh, Peter himself must have been married at some point, right? Because he has a mother-in-law, so we know he was married. So some of the apostles were married. Um, 
and yet they were they were bishops in the church. They were um, uh, the apostles. So why now in the Roman Catholic Church uh, do we expect clergy to be celibate? Well, that's something that the church over time discerned. This seems like it's helpful for the rest of the church. It's helpful for the, the good of the church that we have celibacy. Um, you know, St. Paul was celibate. Um, some of the early apostles, uh, probably St. John was celibate. So it wasn't unknown, but it wasn't just the rule at the time. So that's actually a small t tradition. It's something that could change. If, if the church said, discerned, like, you know, it would be helpful to have married clergy and that everybody could be married. They would do that. But I don't see that happening. Um, maybe Father Rich has a different perspective. He's very liberal on these things. Um, uh, but I'm not no. liberal on anything. <laughs> uh, so, but this was something that eventually became more of the practice of the church because they found it helpful. Um, but it's, it, again, something that's, I would say, it's kind of near and dear to the discernment of the priesthood these days is, Am I called to live as a celibate? Because um, that's what the church asks us. Now, there, there are some parts of uh, the Eastern Rite Catholic churches allow priests to be married. Um, there are some exceptions, even in the Roman Rite, where you know, like if an Anglican became Catholic and he was married, sometimes the church will allow it in specific cases and that sort of thing. So these are small T traditions. They are something that could change, but that doesn't mean that they're not important or they're not something that's very uh, prevalent. Okay, I'm a little bit worried with Father Eli here right now because the catechism has like thousands of paragraphs, so I'm hoping you're not getting all the way to the all of them tonight. So, okay, but, but one of the things that the last paragraph that he mentioned that uh, at least I thought that I was getting at is that one thing that's unique about the Catholic Church is that we're universal. You know, one of my closest friends is a Lutheran pastor, and he has repeatedly said to me, the thing that I envy about you Catholics is that you're everywhere. It doesn't matter what country you're in. And so one of the things that that last paragraph that, uh, that Father Eli read was the idea that the church adapts culturally even. So if you were in, I don't know, Ghana, or if you were somewhere in sub-Sahara, if you went to the Catholic Mass, it would look very, very different than our Mass. Very different. And so the Mass is the same. Nope, nope, the format's the exact same. But you know what you would see? They'd all be dancing. They dance, and it takes hours, and they would bring live chickens instead of passing the hat, the basket. And so it, it, it just looked very different. The format's totally the same. But the church, because it's universal, because it's all over the world, other than maybe like, I don't know, Saudi Arabia and maybe Antarctica, there's a church everywhere. And so the ch we realize that we have many different cultures, and so the church adapts to that. It's a universal thing, you know. And so... Uh, um, I think that's one of the aspects. So not just historically speaking, does the church adapt, but even culturally speaking. So. Well, I think uh, we're getting to the point where I want to kind of wrap up this part. Um, I have that I one last song. I didn't need to do that on purpose. No, no, yeah, no. I, I, no. You did, yeah, you did. Didn't you do that on purpose? <laughs> so um, I have one more song that I want to play through a little bit, but um, hopefully the idea tonight was kind of help you get the bigger sense of God reveals himself to us in many different ways. As Christians, we believe that God revealed himself in a particular way. And as Catholics, um, we, we have a very clear understanding of a way of talking about how he reveals himself to us. And it's very important to us because it helps us to know what we believe, what we teach, and the things that we practice. 
So all of that kind of relies on this fact that, yes, God has revealed this to us, because if he didn't, then everything that we do is kind of man-made, right? It's kind of like Father Rich and Father Eli and Pope Francis is saying, you know, I think we should do this. And that's, that's not what we do. We basically receive from the apostles that came before us, the tradition of the church, and we, our role is to hand it on. So all the teachings of the church, whether they're popular or not, they come to us from Jesus, from the apostles, and that's what we believe. And that's why this idea of revelation, uh, God revealing himself is important, and then how that revelation is continued on throughout the centuries is very important. So that was kind of the gist of what tonight was about, is kind of coming to understand how that plays out in, in the Catholic Church. Any questions about that before we kind of switch gears here? Okay, three. So if you ha still have that little sheet with you, um, the back side is much shorter. So um, this, this hymn is not really that old. It's actually, I think it was rewritten in the 1980s or something like that. Um, Oh God be all praising. I think the actual hymn goes back to much earlier, but then uh, uh, they were uh, some verses were added in or whatever. So it's actually an Anglican hymn, hymn I think, uh, originally. The second verse was written by a Catholic, I believe. Um, but I'm going to play this. And I guess the idea between these two songs is to, to understand music is a powerful way to communicate. Um, and God reveals himself in a certain way. And you can see in the first song, someone who's kind of groping and searching in the dark and the, through their experience of who God is and why, where are you, God? And here, this song is a lot more like th these people seem to know what they're talking about. They seem to have, have some knowledge of who God is. It's not in the dark. Where is God? Yes, we all have that subjective experience of where are you, God? That we, Everybody goes through that. But in the church... There's an experience of being with God and having God have spoken and revealed himself to the church. And when we have that confidence, we can speak in a certain way. We can uh, share the good news in a certain way. And that's really what this hymn is about, is kind of at the, at the heart of it, just kind of sharing the good news of who God is. So, so if you contrast the two, the first one is... It's not a bad song, right? It's, it's a reflection of where I'm at and why am I experiencing this darkness in my, in my life. Uh, so that's very much a human experience. The second song that we just listened to is speaking from a place of like some kind of certainty, like we know about God and God has revealed himself to us. And even the, the lyrics of the song are very almost doctrinal. They're like, this is what we believe. This is what we... Uh, this is why we have hope in the darkness. This is why we're not afraid to, of persecution. This is why um, we're okay with suffering. All these kinds of things are kind of wrapped up in, into these, these lyrics. And um, so it, it kind of comes from a place uh, where we, we have a certain knowledge of God. And that's kind of what the church offers to us. Is like, here's a path by which you can come to know God. Uh, at the end of the day, yeah, you can be your own person and you can kind of search your, your own self. You can look for God in your own personal way, but that's a really hard way and a lonely way. And um, lots of people have done it and they kind of eventually come to know God. You know, if you look at conversion stories of many Catholics, 
Um, some of them have like it's been a long road for them to get here, and eventually they, they get there or they come to Christianity. Um, but when you go with the church, it's a lot easier, right? Because it's like we got this army of people who are there, kind of cheering you on, encouraging you, uh, helping you in different ways, and so. Um, I guess that was the contrast of how God reveals himself. One of the ways he reveals himself is through the church. So, um, any closing comments? Okay. Maybe we'll just end with a quick prayer, and then, um, unless it's just, do you have anything that we're supposed to say? Okay. We're going to end with a quick prayer, and then um, you can head out if you want, or if you have any questions, you can come and talk to one of us. Uh, so we'll start with the Sandy Cross. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we thank you for bringing here us here tonight. Thank you for bringing us safely here. We ask for safety as we drive home. Uh, we pray that our hearts would be open to coming to know you more fully, more uh, what, in whatever way you want to reveal yourself to us. We just ask that our hearts would be open. We thank you, Lord, for calling us into relationship, that you do reveal yourself to us. And we ask you to continue helping us seek you out in our lives, wherever we are, wherever you, wherever you are meeting us right now, we ask that our hearts would be open to receive you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Thanks for coming tonight. Great to see you all. Next week, same time. Yeah, next week, same time, same place. And again, the following week after that is the election nights we won't meet. <laughs>